Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. As we get into things, uh, I want to welcome you all here today. My name is Graham again, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. And I'm really glad that we can be here today and excited that we can uh, get into God's Word today. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 is where we're going to be for today. If you're looking for it in your Bibles, you can find it near the back of your Bible. Uh, You feel free to ask someone near you uh, where to find it, or you can use the table of contents to help you find it. And if you don't own a Bible, um, there's a table behind any, and there uh, are some Bibles there, and you can grab one there. Uh, It's also going to be on the screen. So uh, again, James chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, uh, I'm going to just begin by sharing a story with you guys. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, when I was growing up, like every good Canadian boy, I collected hockey cards, right? Um, that was my hobby. If, if I got any kind of allowance uh, from my parents, I would save it up and I would buy a pack of hockey cards. And I had this like huge binder with all these plastic sleeves and that's where I kept all of my cards. Um, I was kind of living the Canadian dream, right? Um, well, uh, I, I remember one day uh, I was looking at my cards and I was hanging out with my brother and my brother says, uh, we, we were talking about autographs, and he says, um, he said, do you know that if you uh, get an autographed card that it's worth more money? And obviously, that obviously piqued my interest, right? Um, so I went and asked my parents, I said, what's an autograph? And, and they told me, they said, an autograph is when someone signs their name on something. And that could be um, a jersey or a photo or a hockey card even. And I got so excited Um, Because I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? I'm someone, and I know how to write. Uh, And so I went to my room, and I proceeded to write all the names of my favorite players on all my hockey cards, knowing that as they sat there, they were just accruing value, right? Someday they were going to be worth a lot of money. So the whole time I was just thinking about how smart I was too. Like I thought, I was like, I wonder why no one else has ever thought of this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Really, I was like, I had this like, this is way too good to be true moment. Um, I got more and more excited as I wrote on each of these cards. And I thought, this card is like 20 cents when I got it. It's probably worth about $20 now. Um, And it's okay, you don't have to know how old I was when I was doing this, okay? Um, All you need to know is I was going to be making some money. And and anyways, after... uh, after I did this to a good number of my cards, I went and showed my parents, and I was fully ready for them to celebrate with me about how smart I was. I expected them to say, yeah, Graham, you did it. We can finally pay off our mortgage. Um, but little did I know that no one is looking for a rookie year Wayne Gretzky card signed by Graham Dick. I just didn't know that. Uh, and so 
anyways, the, the point of that story is I had made these cards worthless because I had put a fake signature on them, right? The, the signature on it was mine. It was not of these players, and so it was not real, and therefore it made the cards completely worthless. Uh, my family still bugs me about it to this day. So uh, similarly today, we're talking about how when our faith is fake, it is worthless. When we don't have a real faith, it has no worth. It is useless. And so we're going to be talking about how real faith is manifest through our actions and good works. And so if our faith is real, our lives will produce good works. Today we are continuing our series in the book of James. And so if you're new here, we as a church have been going through a series in the book of Cha in James called Faith Produces. And what we've been answering is the question of what does faith produce in our lives? What does real faith, excuse me, what does real faith in Jesus look like? So we're talking about practical ways that we live, we will live as Christians as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Um, just so that you are aware, next week we're going to be taking a bit of a break from our series here in James, and we're going to be jumping into our series in Advent, and that's called Joy to the World, and that's going to take us till Christmas, so make sure that you can join us for that. Um, and so we're going to put our series on James for a whole, for hold until uh, we finish uh, Christmas, and then we're going to jump back into James following Christmas. So all that to say, again, we are continuing our series in James today. And uh, last week, James, James, the pastor James, um, he mentioned that we would be talking about the importance of our words. And uh, I just want to point out how ironic that is, uh, because today we're actually not talking about the importance of our words, but rather we're talking about the importance of good works. And so if you were expecting a different sermon today, uh, you can thank James for teaching us the importance of our words. Um, so anyways, uh, today, as I mentioned, we're going to look at how the gospel transforms our lives so we will produce good works. Another way that we can say that, that connects with our series is that faith produces good works. Faith produces good works. And so as we look at our text for today, I want us to explore that a little bit more closely. Uh, we're going to focus on practically what does it mean that our faith produces good works and what are those works going to look like. So uh, let me begin by sharing a few main points with you. If you're someone who likes to take notes, uh, this is something that I would encourage you to write down. So as we go throughout our text for today, um, I want us to see three things. Uh, three things that I want us to see as we go through our text for today. So the first is, faith produces action instead of apathy. Faith produces action instead of apathy. Second, faith produces selflessness rather than selfishness. So faith produces selflessness instead of selfishness. And finally, faith produces life instead of death. Faith produces life instead of death. So. Um, before we read our text, let me just pray for us, and then we will get into the Word. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be here today. Um, God, I ask that you would move um, in our hearts today. I ask that you would um, kill any apathy that there is in us, kill the selfishness that's 
in our hearts and that you would produce that into action and that you would produce that into good works that we would selflessly provide for those in our church. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and that um, because of his life and his death and that you raised him from the dead, God, we can have new life because of him. God, you've given us new life through your son, Jesus, and we thank you for that. And um, we know that that, uh, is, that is what is working inside of us now to produce the good works in our life. So we ask that you would um, speak through your text today and uh, convict us of any sin that we have in our lives and help us to put that away and to put on uh, Christ. We love you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to read our text for today. Again, we're in James chapter 2, and we're going to be reading through verses 14 to 26. So again, it's going to be on the screen. Um, here's what it says. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. That says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so before we unpack all of this for today, uh, I want to address a couple of pitfalls that we should avoid falling into here. So there are two things that I want us not to get confused about, about our text here. Um, the first thing is this issue that James is addressing here. So we see that James, he's writing to a group of believers that are dispersed as a result of persecution. And so essentially, he writes this section to prevent believers here from falling into a trap. And that trap is that they would know a lot about God, but that that knowledge would have no impact in transforming their lives. That they would know many truths about God, but not live out those truths. And so he's writing here about the importance of a lived out faith, a faith that produces good works. And so pitfall number one is, I can believe the gospel and all the truths about God, but not live them out. And so we want to avoid falling into that trap today. The second pitfall that we can fall into is believing that the good things that we do 
are a means of making us right with God. In other words, God will accept us because of the good things that we do. And there are a lot of people that believe uh, that this is what this passage teaches. Some religions, like the Jehovah's Witness, will say that James is teaching a works-based faith. And this simply is not what James is saying. We could point to, a, uh, to numerous passages elsewhere in the Bible that are clear that salvation is solely by grace, through faith in what Jesus has done on our behalf. However, we can understand clearly from our passage in James that he does not believe that good works are a means of salvation. So as we mentioned, uh, James is writing to a group of believers and he's saying, if God has transformed you spiritually, then your life will produce good works. Therefore, if you do not have good works in your life, then God has not transformed you spiritually. He's not saying that your good works will save you, but rather that those who are saved will display good works. And so these are the two pitfalls that I want to prevent us from falling into today. And so that being said, let's dive into our first point. So point number one, uh, first thing I want us to see today is that faith produces action instead of apathy. So what James is writing about here is, is in complete opposite to an apathetic mindset. A mindset that is aware of issues and difficulties in fellow believers' lives and yet refuses to act on these issues. What does he say? He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And what, what James is saying is that when we see practical ways to help others in need, our kind words or our kind thoughts simply aren't enough. It is not simply enough just to acknowledge the needs of others and send your best wishes. That's called apathy. Um, it's an attitude that says, yeah, I see your needs, and I wish you the best with that, uh, but I really don't care enough to help you with them. And that is what James is warning against. So uh, a couple things to mention about this. First, I think it's important to know who James is talking about here. So who is James talking about? He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food. So he's talking about providing for other beliefs that are in need. They're Christians that need food or clothing or shelter. This is who James is saying that we ought to provide for. You might ask then, what about non-believers? Should we feed and clothe the poor if they are not believers? Absolutely. Um, in fact, the book of Romans specifically um, mentions specifically providing for your enemy if they are in need. It says if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And so yes, we ought to care for the practical needs of the poor, regardless of whether or not they are believers, and actually whether or not they, uh, whether or not we even like them. And, and so why then does James specifically mention fellow believers here? I think he specifically mentions fellow believers because he is showing us that there is a particular love that God has for his church. God has a specific love for his church, and he cares for their needs. And so we are commanded to primarily care for and provide 
for poor believers. Our care for the church matters to God. Our good works to those in need in the church matters. Why? Because they show our trust or our lack thereof in God to provide. Because what is, what is the root issue here? If we do not give to others when they need it, what are we saying? At best, we're saying that we don't trust that God will provide for our needs if we gave selflessly. I would say that's the best case. At worst, it is a willing acknowledgement that God cares about these issues and it is a refusal to align our lives with his will. And so when we are apathetic to those in need, we show that we do not trust God to provide for us. Um, have you guys ever done trust falls before? Yeah, Ian has. Um, <laughs> if, if you're not familiar with them, uh, basically what they are, they're, they're an exercise that helps you build trust with others. So you kind of, you would stand with your back facing a few people. Sometimes you're like standing on a table and you close your eyes and you count to three or something and then you fall backwards. And hypothetically, the people behind you are supposed to catch you. Um, I'm not sure if it always works that way, right? Sometimes the people behind you, they're not paying enough attention and, and they should be. Uh, sometimes the person, they accidentally fall forward instead of backwards. Um, there's no one there to catch them. Uh, but you guys get the idea. In theory, the people are supposed to catch them. But what's the point of a trust ball? If you trust the person, you will act on that trust. Because if you just stood on top of the table um, without falling, it would actually show that you really don't trust the people to catch you. And likewise, if our faith, if our faith doesn't propel us into action, we're showing that we really don't trust God. So we get further in this passage, and James gives us this example of Abraham. Uh, let's look at verse 21. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So if you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, Abraham was a man that was chosen by God to become the father of the Israelites. So if we look back to the book of Genesis, God tells Abraham that he will make his family a great nation. He says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And, this and at this point, uh, Abraham didn't have any kids. He didn't have any children of his own. And he was also very old. It's, but uh, the Bible says that he believed God and that God counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham was justified by his faith in God, that God would allow him to have children even in his old age, and that his descendants would become a great nation. Now, if we fast forward a bit, Abraham and his wife, they have a son named Isaac. And Isaac grows up, and the Bible says uh, that God, he tests Abraham, and he tells him uh, to take Isaac and to go and offer him as a sacrifice. And so Abraham takes Isaac, uh, he binds him up, and he places him on the altar, and he's about to sacrifice him, and God steps in and he tells him not to kill Isaac. And instead, 
God provides a ram for him to sacrifice instead. And uh, what it says at the end uh, in uh, Genesis, it says, uh, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So all of that to say, Abraham's faith was manifest in his action. He trusted that God would fulfill his promise to multiply his offspring, even when it seemed like the opposite. Abraham's faith brought him to act because he trusted the promises of God. He trusted that God would provide, right? And the interesting thing is how James relates this story now to us, because what is this passage about? It's about, by faith, taking action and trusting that God will provide. And that's exactly what James is talking about here. Will we trust that God will provide for our needs if we take action and provide for others? Or do we apathetically say, I care about your needs, but not really enough to do anything about them? So the first thing that we see is that faith produces action instead of apathy. The next thing that we see is that faith produces selflessness instead of selfishness. And what we see in this passage is not only that faith produces action, but that the actions that faith produces are selfless, not selfish. The actions serve others, not ourselves. They are self-sacrificial rather than self-satisfying. So following Abraham, uh, we see this other example that James gives to us in Rahab. Uh, the story of Rahab, again, is in the Old Testament. You can find it in the book of Joshua in chapter 2. Um, and side note, uh, when you read the Bible at home and you see uh, names or places or events um, that are referenced outside of their immediate context, uh, like we see here with Abraham and what we see with Rahab here, it's a really good idea to reread the original story that it is referring to. Sometimes it's just good to go back and read the section the author is referring to because this, uh, it goes a long way to help us understand what the author is trying to say. And uh, it should help you understand the bigger picture of the Bible and how to read it better. So that's just a side note. That's for free. Back to Rahab. Um, in, the story, in the book of Joshua, Joshua sends spies into Jericho, and this is the promised land that, that uh, God had promised them. And they're going to uh, scout out the land. And the spies, they come across Rahab, and Rahab helps them hide from the king of Jericho, because the king of Jericho is trying to kill these spies. And then she helps them escape as well. And so what we see with Rahab is that she took action to provide for the Israelites a space, a, a place um, to hide and to escape. And also what we see is that she did this at the risk of her own life, right? This would have cost her her life if she was caught. Rahab risked her life for the lives of others so that they might enter the promised land. And she provided for them selflessly. And so similarly, when we provide for the needs of others, it's going to cost us. And so, so faith that trusts in God will provide, uh, give selflessly to those who are in need. This is the picture that we have of how the church provides for one another. 
I want to read for you guys from the book of Acts. And this is what we see from the early church. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And he says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what we see is that God saves people as they see the self selfless provision of the church towards one another. And when we put our faith in Jesus, this is what our lives will look like. We will give to those in need selflessly. We will put away our selfish motives to keep what is ours, and we will find joy in providing for others' needs. And so this is not um, any kind of prosperity gospel. This isn't give and God will make you rich. Don't hear that is what I'm saying. This is a heart that can only be transformed by the power of God that says, I have been given so much. Now let me generously give as God has given to me. And so I want us to think today, am I trusting God with what he has given me? Am I trusting him even if it means giving self-sacrificially? Because we all have reasons why we shouldn't give, right? I'm in university, or I just finished university, but I'm looking for a job, or I just got a job, but now I need to save up for a wedding, or I'm married, but now I need to provide for my kids, or my kids are out of the house, but now I need to save for retirement, we all have an excuse, and so none of us have an excuse. If your excuse is that you don't know the needs of those around you, maybe you aren't surrounding yourself with people who are in need. And I'm saying this just as much to myself uh, as all of you. Last week we just spoke about being partial and favoring certain people over others. And so if we really are not partial, uh, we should know some people that are in need, right? And so this is a hard truth, but uh, the good news is that if God has transformed our hearts by his power, then this will be out of joy for us. We will love to give generously. And we can find joy in giving even when it's going to cost us because the spirit of God in us will say, I want to serve others more than I want to serve myself. Faith in Jesus Christ produces selflessness instead of selfishness. So um, we've seen that faith produces action instead of apathy. Uh, we've seen now that faith produces selflessness instead of selfishness. And finally, I want us to see that faith produces life instead of death. What is this whole passage about? What is James' concern in writing this? Verse 14, he says, he starts off, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then he says, Can that faith save him? 
can that faith save him? The concern that James is writing about is salvation or eternal life. It is a transformed life as a result of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. He says, if you don't have a faith that transforms your life to care for and provide for the, your fellow believers that are in need, then your faith is dead. And let me ask you this. Is there evidence of a changed heart in someone who is apathetic towards believers in need? No. There's no salvation for those who neglect the need of other believers. And again, it's not that if you feed and clothe the poor, you will be saved. It's if you will not feed and clothe the poor, you are not saved. David Platt writes this in his commentary on, uh, on this passage in James. He says, uh, this is, sorry, this is one of his uh, three main points on this section of scripture. And he says, people who fail to help poverty-stricken believers are in fact not saved. And this may sound harsh, but it is consistent with what we see throughout scripture. I want to read for you a passage in Matthew. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he shares a similar sentiment. This is Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. He says, when the Son, this is, this is Jesus speaking, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the people, uh, uh, sorry, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will, will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these... Uh, and these will go into, away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So this is consistent with what we see in James. James. Jesus tells us that there is eternal punishment for those who do not provide for believers in need. Faith without good works is a dead faith. It is not a real faith. Also consistent with this is what John writes in 1 John. He says, by this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The, the implied answer is that it doesn't. God's love does not abide in the hearts of those who neglect the needs of believers. So why do our good works matter? Because a believer is someone who God has transformed their heart to be like him. And if our faith is not shown in how we live, if we are apathetic to others who believe, we are showing that God has not transformed our hearts and our lives. So James, he then goes on to use this example. He says, um, he says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And I'll, I'll say this, this is probably one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. Because what it says is that you can believe all the right things. You can say, yeah, I believe that in one God, I believe in three persons, that Jesus is Lord, born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross for the sins of the world, he rose again three days later and his spirit lives in those who believe. You can say all of that, and if your attitude still is, therefore I do not need any good works in my life, then you may not be saved. If the gospel has no impact on how you live, then your faith is dead. Because even the demons have good theology. Right? The demons know who God is, and yet they refuse to worship him. And so if your life has not been transformed by God, then having good theology is just one thing that you may have in common with the demons. And so um, I don't say any of this to scare you. It's right here from our text. Um, but know that the Bible is clear that when God saves us, he changes the way that we live. Right? And that doesn't mean that we will, we're going to be perfect. But it means that as we know him more and more, he is transforming us to be like him and he is doing good works through us, his church. Our, our faith produces good works as his life is breathed into us. He causes dead faith to come alive. We are only able to do any of this because his spirit is alive in those who put their faith in Jesus. Because as broken as we are, Jesus was not apathetic to us. He saw our broken state and he provided a way for us to be made right with God. He saw that our sin left us in need of a savior and he came to earth to be that savior. And he provided a way for us to be made righteous through his death on the cross, right? Jesus selflessly gave his life on the cross for our sins. God's concern for our salvation cost him his life. And he didn't deserve that, but we did. It was because of his sacrifice that he provided for our spiritual needs to be made, to be made right with God through the death of Christ. And God then raised him from the dead, proving that not even death could hold him, 
And he promises us that the same spirit that raised him from the dead is alive in those who put their faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And so when, when we do, uh, when, uh, when we do that, when we put our faith in Christ alone, our faith produces good works. It produces action instead of apathy. It produces selflessness instead of selfishness, and it produces life instead of death. So what do we do with all this? How do we need to respond? For some of you, you may need to, to begin by confessing to God your apathy towards the needs of fellow believers. Others here might be saying, I've, I've been selfish with what God has given me. Let me turn from that and begin to live selflessly. And let me trust that God will provide for me uh, as I provide for the needs of others. Um, I don't know where you're at, uh, but you do. Uh, all of this begins, though, with a heart change. So no matter if you think that you know everything about God or you know very little, you may need God to ask you to change your heart. You may need to ask him to turn your dead faith into a faith that is alive. And that will happen as you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Uh, maybe you need to talk to someone after service about what all of this means. Um, if that's you, come talk to myself or come talk to Dylan in the back or James or the person who brought you here. Um, but let me challenge you with this. Don't leave here today apathetic towards the good news of Jesus. I would challenge you to take a step to put your faith into action. Um, I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, Martin Luther, who was uh, rather critical of this text, actually, he said this. He said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. God does not need your works, but your neighbor does. What does that mean? It means that your good works aren't going to earn you brownie points with God. God doesn't need them um, because... We are seen as righteous solely through the lens of Jesus. Because where we have failed, he did not. So we are not accepted by God because of our good works. But as we talked about in Acts, God saves people as they hear the gospel and see it lived out in the church. And as, as we selfless, selflessly provide for those in need, others will look at that and they will say, wow. There's something different about them. And so why do we self-sacrificially provide for others? Because when we do, we are looking more and more like Christ himself. We are being restored into the image of God as he changes our hearts from apathy to action, from selfishness to selflessness, from death to life, through his power, not our own.